welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and today's episode focuses on disaster readiness. What is that, you ask? Well, disaster medicine focuses on the systematic response to unanticipated events. What follows is an interview that I conducted with Brent Kazany, a national expert in this area from Baylor University and Texas Children's Hospital, and he has worked and trained through major environmental disasters. Brett presented his work at the American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition, and this podcast episode launched directly after his platform presentation. So Brent, why don't you start out by telling us a bit about yourself? How did you get involved in this um, whole disaster preparedness realm? Sure. So, you know, uh, really it all happened in New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina. But before that, I grew up in Houston. There were tons of hurricanes when I was a kid growing up that we were exposed to. And it was always something that was on our mind every hurricane season. Did med school in Houston. And when I went to New Orleans for residency, the second month of my intern year, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. So, you know, as you can imagine, intern year, second month in, you really don't know much in the way of anything. And I find myself on the floor on call, uh, taking care of patients when Katrina makes landfall. And was part of the evacuation of Tulane Hospital and Charity Hospital. And then after that, I really just thought, it seemed like there were a lot of things that could have gone better, some things that I thought really went well. But I kind of just dove headfirst into disaster medicine after that, really changed careers completely into pediatric emergency medicine from what I thought about doing previously, and uh, ended up being one of the residents that was displaced to Baylor after Katrina. So I was a two-lane resident at Baylor for the rest of my intern year, transferred to Baylor. And it's really just been going on ever since then. And I and I think that we all have you know those little moments in our careers that kind of help push us in those directions. But I, I can't think of anybody that's had a more kind of, you know, galvanizing path, you know, that that's kind of led you out there. And I imagine that you've learned quite a bit along the way. And it's hard to distill down everything that you need to know about disaster readiness, disaster preparedness. But, you know, what would you say are the top things that, you know, general pediatricians, general emergency medicine doctors, pediatric emergency medicine providers should know about disaster preparedness for children? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can get really into the weeds on this stuff. And obviously, that's something that I'm interested in and passionate about. Take all kinds of, you know, courses all over the country that are offered for free, get flown places to go do things like radiation emergency medicine and management in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. But that's obviously not for everybody. I mean, that's not something that I think everybody needs to do or something that I think is really high yield for that practitioner that's out there. I mean, I think it really starts with yourself and with your family, right? If you're not prepared, if your family's not prepared, then how are you going to be able to respond to an event that occurs in your community? How are you going to be able to respond to something that's affecting your hospital or an institution? I mean, it really starts with a sense of kind of self-preparedness, self-reliance, where when these events do happen, you're able to respond in an effective manner and you know take care of business. So I think that's the real crux of it. But, you know, beyond that, I think getting clinicians in general involved and engaged in the process of disaster preparing where they work is really important. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of times, as you always hear, you know, people are working in silos. And that's completely true, I think, of a lot of places where we deal with emergency management, where you see there's, you know, 
an administrator that is an emergency manager that's in charge of this stuff at your hospital for their operations or in charge of your clinic network or what have you, but they don't really actively engage oftentimes with clinicians. And I don't think it's any fault of their own. I think they just don't know that there's maybe anybody that wants to engage in it. But what we see are these are policies that are really going to directly impact, you know, not just yourself as the clinician, but your patients, their families, the rest of the staff at the hospital or, or wherever you work. And so I, I think just getting engaged with those individuals is, is, is the next, you know, big step. Right. And I think, you know, we, we all see that, oh, we're going to run a disaster drill on Thursday or, you know, there's going to be a tabletop um, exercise, you know, next month. Um, and those are all well and good, but they're, you know, relatively few and far between. Um, certainly most places have a hospital policy, but, you know, there are there specific examples of how especially people early on in their career should get acclimated to, you know, what their local hospital and region are doing. You know, are there certain kind of policies or meetings they should look to attend, who they should look out for in terms of, you know, leaders in the institution? Yeah, I mean, those are all great questions as far as, you know, where's that starting point? How do you kind of, you know, jump into this and, and where do you start as far as talking to people? You know, I think the key thing is that every hospital has to have some sort of emergency manager or some sort of, hopefully some sort of emergency management committee structure of some sort that's kind of overlooking these things and, and overseeing these efforts. You know, I think that one of the more interesting meetings that I go to and that when physicians go to, they find it really interesting as well, is that usually, you know, on an annual basis, all institutions have to do what we call a hazard vulnerability analysis. And what they're doing in that is really assessing what they think their top risks are. So they're saying, when was the last time an active shooter happened within five miles of the hospital, within, you know, the state, within the region, and they're saying, okay, because of that, we've got an idea of the probability, we've got an idea of what this impact would be on our institution, and then how ready we are for it. And, you know, a good emergency management program is going to look at the results of that, which kind of risk stratify, you know, the likelihood of a thing happening and its impact on, on your institution. And they're going to see those things at the top of that list, those should be where our priorities are placed for the following year, because we can kind of mitigate some of the risk by doing some work. So that's a meeting where I think going to something like that, you get a lot of insight into what the institution is exposed to. You know, I, you go, I, I go and I'm like, whoa, we had, uh, you know, two bomb threats last year. Okay. I did not know that. That's kind of interesting. You know, you, you hear kind of all these interesting stories about what's occurred nearby or in your institution. And then you get to kind of voice what you think are the impacts clinically that what you'd experience if this happened. Because a lot of people, a lot of times there's not a clinician in the room during these meetings. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, people like facilities and security and people that are really important to, to mitigating these disasters. But having that kind of clinical viewpoint, I think, is, you know, exceedingly important. So I think that's a definitely one meeting that if you can seek out, in addition to just emergency management committee meetings in general, um, outside of the institution, there's a ton of work going on in this space. And there are regional coalitions working on improving kind of not just pediatric care, but care and disasters. And I found that they're usually hungry for engaged and active clinicians to, to you know, get involved and participate. Uh, it's not usually like, a, oh, this is a closed thing. We don't want, you know, people showing up. 
it's more like a just invite yourself and then you start getting invited type of situation. Got it. There's not high level clearance. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. Not, not all the time. <laughs> not most of the time. Um, so your, your path to this, you know, career interest and, you know, certainly your involvement, you know, within our field, you know, really was because of what you went through, not, you know, not just during your early training, but recently. Yeah. Um, can you highlight, you know, some of the lessons that you guys learned down in Texas, you know, especially from Hurricane Harvey and, and the catastrophic flooding that occurred? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Harvey was interesting. I think it's interesting, too, that, you know, we always, and I, I, I do this as well, we always talk about Hurricane Harvey, but really for Houston, for the greater mm -hmm. Houston metropolitan area, it wasn't really a hurricane for us. It was what we are seeing more and more commonly. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago with Tropical Storm Imelda, we see these intense flash flooding situations that affect our community and these things are are, are challenging for us to deal with because it's almost like you don't know when they're going to happen or how bad they're going to be i mean at least with harvey i think we had some great foresight we had our our, our kind of time to get our planning together and everything you know i think the thing that i realized the most after harvey and during harvey was just how much work is focused on this at Texas Children's, you know, even on a kind of section by section basis. And the, you know, the example that I like to give is when you look at our dialysis patients, our, our renal service brings those patients in before the hurricane hits. Mm -hmm. They dialyze them early so they know they can last longer at home before needing dialysis again. They give them bags with supplies and information to have at home with them. And they're really just kind of preparing their patients. And I think all kind of subspecialties need to kind of take that approach if they have patients that are similar, that have chronic needs, um, that if they're not being able to be cared for at their institution, they're going to get into trouble. And so I think that was a thing that I was just, it was really eye-opening and it was, it was also kind of a relief because it was, you know, the person that's kind of the doc in the room and a lot of these things, it's nice to know that the rest of the institution kind of has your back and is, is doing their job and doing a great job. I mean, I think we got really lucky with Harvey in that it wasn't a hurricane in Houston. Um, you know, if it had been a high wind event, if cell phones hadn't been working, I think we would have, it would have been a much different uh, event for us. I mean, when we're, we are so reliant on uh, cell phones for communication and texting and all that, and we have plans in place and redundancies in place, but I know that they won't work near as well or as effectively as that. So I think that was one of the things that we said, you know, we probably need to work on this more. And we have, we've done drills where we've said, okay, you know, the phones aren't working, the internet's not working, this is what we're going to do. But it's kind of like, you know, you really need that backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan and just testing all of those things. Uh, and I don't think we really drilled it down that, that deep. You know, I think thinking about those things in, in such a systematic way becomes, you know, really hyper local, you know, very region based. Yeah. And, you know, I think we can learn a lot from one experience. I work in a big hospital setting, too, where you've got many patients with incredibly complex needs. And I wouldn't begin to know exactly what a patient would need to have at home for dialysis, but you have to have that kind of central group to really reach out and say, here's what our subset of patients will need. Here's how many patients we have. Here's the geographic area they live in. Here's the predicted impact. Really think about it in a smart way. And I, and I think that, 
you know, your presentation at the 2019 AP NCE, you know, really promises to be fascinating because it's going to highlight how, you know, being ready is more than just about, you know, attending, you know, one disaster drawer, one tabletop. Are there any key take home points that you want to, you know, leave the listeners to the podcast and the audience in attendance at AAP with? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the challenge is seeing kind of what the impact of this work is, right? I mean, I think we know that doing drills makes us better. We know that talking to families gets them better prepared. But do we have data to support that? I mean, I know it. I feel like I know it. But, you know, my colleagues that are quality improvement experts would say, well, do you really know it if you don't have any data to support it? And it's also like, where are we getting the most bang for our buck? Like, what are some things that maybe we don't know they're having as big of an impact, but they're easy to do, they're easy to pull off, but they really are having a, you know, a, a big impact. I mean, the thing that I think is really interesting in general, and, and, and again, there's always this focus on drills, right? Because I think drills are kind of those, they kind of, there's that always that big annual drill that people will do to kind of check some boxes for joint commission perhaps. But if you got an excited emergency manager, it's going to be this big sexy thing with like SWAT officers and, you know, moulage and people running around and it's really exciting. Yeah. It feels like a movie and, production. Yeah. 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 We actually, we did a, when we did this large scale drill a couple of years ago, our, we had our videographer there for T Texas children's and he was like, I could literally edit this into like an action movie, you know, <laughs> but you know, so that's all great. And then at the end, you're kind of like, man, we really kicked butt. That was terrific. We really came together and took care of all the patients. But what are you really learning from it? And, and you're not having every physician go through this drill. So maybe the four people that participate, they learn a lot. But what, what are you really learning on a grander scale from it? And so I think trying to form, formalize a way to study some of these processes, trying to develop metrics to see the impact that's kind of the next next step in all of this. Uh, I think for you know disaster medicine at large and pediatric disaster medicine in specific, and I think that's where we're kind of going forward and, and what, where we're trying to do some of this work. Um, you know, I'm by no means a quality improvement expert, uh, but I think uh, it's just looking at things through the lens of quality improvement is what's going to hopefully lead to some data to support all this work and effort that we put out in this area. Fascinating. Brent, thank you very much for joining today on the podcast. And uh, if people are looking to reach out to you and ask any additional questions, how can they get in touch? Wherever there's a hurricane, I'll be there. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, you know, I think my email is always the easiest way to get in touch with me. There are a lot of people at different institutions that have been kind of thrust into this role of being the physician lead or mm -hmm. medical director of emergency management. And a lot of people are like, what does that mean? What should I be doing? And, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. It's not like I have all the answers, but I, I found that it's extremely helpful to talk to people about this. And, I, and I've been happy to talk to a number of people that have been kind of put in that position. And so would, would be happy to, you know, spend some time on the phone or emailing with anybody that's got any questions or other issues. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. My sincerest thanks got to Brent for recording this episode with me. Ultimately, I hope that you learned a bit about disaster medicine, and if you'd like to reach out to Brent, I've put his email address in the show notes. 
And while you're at it, why don't you check out all the other content that I posted around the American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition section on emergency medicine programming. Leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your audio content. Follow me on Twitter at PemTweets and check out the Facebook page. And why don't you tell your colleagues and co-workers about the podcast? This is something I do because I love to teach, and frankly, it's kind of fun. Thanks, and until next time, this has been Brad Soboleski for PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. Music